Welcome to the latest USGA Green Section podcast, your source for all things golf course management. I'm host John Petrovsky, Education Manager in the Green Section. In this special edition, we're excited to share our quick-hitting conversation with Dr. Micah Woods. We got lots of great information, including his thoughts on organic matter, current trends in golf course maintenance, how to best manage surfaces for the ultimate goal, which is playability, and where he thinks zoysia and other grasses could play a role in golf's future. Here's our conversation with Dr. Micah Woods. Dr. Micah Woods, thank you so much for joining us. We've had some great guests on the podcast, uh, but today we're pleased to be able to add your name right up there at the top of the list. And uh, just so our listeners know, I'm here in Pinehurst, North Carolina, and you are in Thailand. So fingers crossed technology doesn't let us down today. So far, so good. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So we'll roll right into it, Dr. Woods. No doubt most of our listeners are familiar with you, but just in case, can you give us the two-minute Micah Woods origin story and talk a little bit about your current role with the Asian Turf Grass Center and Pace Turf? I was born in Oregon in the Willamette Valley where all the grass seed is grown, and I grew up there and I loved playing golf. And just after high school, I stumbled on golf course maintenance and I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed it so much that I went to Oregon State University, got an undergrad degree in horticulture, uh, turf and landscape management. And I had a chance to do internships at Desert Mountain down in Arizona, at Old Waverly in Mississippi, at Augusta National Golf Club, in addition to working at Waverly Country Club and Portland Golf Club uh, back in Oregon. So I'd worked around different parts of the U.S. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to go to graduate school but wouldn't it also be nice if I could get some international work experience before going to grad school? So um, I did that. And the job that I could get was in Shanghai. Then I worked in Japan. And then I went to grad school at Cornell with Frank Rossi. And that little bit of international work experience led me to realize that there's huge opportunities in working in Asia. So after I graduated f- from Cornell University, I started the Asian Turfgrass Center. That was in 2006. And because I enjoy writing and speaking about turf grass and doing research about turf grass and sharing that information, I've now I have a, a global audience where uh, people from all over the world get to uh, read what I write or get to listen to what I talk about. They invite me to speak at conferences and so on. But I'm still based in Asia, and I recently took over the Pace Turf Information Service from. Larry Stoll and Wendy Galerner, and so I can continue that excellent information service. So basically, I'm in the information business, and I've, I guess, I've been very lucky somehow to get a chance to work overseas with some interesting turf grass problems, and then I realized some of the textbook stuff just doesn't work exactly everywhere else in the world, and then I've tried to figure out what does work everywhere, and so some of the ideas that that I've been involved with, like. Uh, MLSN for nutrients or clipping volume for growth rate or OM246 for for managing soil organic matter. Those kind of things, I think, I've just been in a a fortunate situation where I've had a chance to work in places where the textbook didn't recommend, the textbook recommendations just didn't work so well. And then because of that, I get a chance to come up with some interesting ideas that work for a lot of people. 
Fantastic. Yeah, you've always sort of been on the front lines of advancing turf grass science, and it's been great keeping track of all the work you do. Mike, I wanted to start by getting your thoughts on organic matter, sort of a trending topic uh, right now. How do superintendents find the balance between optimizing plant health with fertility, but yet avoiding excess organic matter accumulation? Uh, it's going to be very site specific. And the way to figure out that balance is I would encourage people to measure three things. And basically people are, are assessing this anyway. Um, but just do it systematically. Uh, I find it really useful if you want to be as efficient as possible, measure the playability. And that's something like green speed, firmness, smoothness and trueness of ball roll. So that's the results, right? So, so measure that and then measure how much the grass grows above ground. Everybody already knows how many times they mow. They know what the mowing height is. They look in the basket and see how many clippings are there. But if you just measure how many clippings, just go from, go from a little clippings or a lot of clippings to it was eight liters of clippings on this green. And, and once you start measuring that, you can add up the clippings over the course of the year. Now, all of a sudden, you know how much the grass grew above ground. And then measure the total organic material below ground and measure how that changes over time. So then you can check if below ground, if the organic material is going up or going down. So if you put those three things together, the above ground growth, the below ground growth, and the playability, you can figure out whether you need to move any of those in any direction. Do you, do you need to move it up? Do you need to move it down? And the whole goal is to optimize that playability. In your opinion, what's the most important part of managing organic matter? Is it top dressing? Is it controlling growth? Is it aeration? Is it all the above? Uh, that's a great question. And I can't prove it, but I speculate that it's controlling growth. And... Um, it would be, it would be a very long discussion if I would give all the reasons for that. But, sure. <laughs> uh, I, if I would just speculate a little bit more, I would say that I guess that the, uh, growth stimulation from fertilizer that we need to do in order for a putting surface to accept the disruption that we cause to it, like the disruption being verticutting, punching holes in it and adding sand, we need to have a growth rate to accept that much disruption. And I think that's what causes thatch. Very good. Moving on from organic matter into kind of a um, sort of a fun question. What is one, well, I don't know if it's fun. We'll wait till you answer. Maybe. <laughs> what is a common golf course maintenance practice you see today that you don't think is worth the time? Ah, uh, man. And I could get in some trouble uh, for this one. Uh, let me choose one. Let me choose one that I think is very straightforward. Uh, it's applying more potassium fertilizer than the grass can use. And I would say that it's customary in professional turf grass management, in golf, in sports turf, maybe, maybe even in, in commercial landscape, to apply more potassium than the grass can use. And... I, I just don't think that that has any benefit, but it definitely wastes our time. And, and time is a valuable resource, and I would rather spend time doing something that will have a benefit to the turf. So I, I think that's an easy one, and it's not terribly controversial. 
I, I could speculate on some other ones, <laughs> but I, I'd rather not. Hey, not, nothing wrong with playing it safe. That's that's a good way to go off the tee box there. Developing that question a little further, what is something most golf courses don't do enough of? The, that is another excellent question. And I, I'm going to say rolling. I, I think we've all noticed sometimes the pathway that goes between the green to the next tee has, you'll, you'll find a bit of turf that's been uh, compacted, uh, rolled by feet, rolled by foot traffic, perhaps. And it's just amazing. And it never gets mowed, but it's just amazing quality. And you can see that with warm season grass. You can see that with cool season grass. Um, there, there's just something about rolling, putting more traffic on the grass that I think for most turf grass species uh, could actually be helpful. Very good. I like that answer. You've seen more zoysia grass on golf courses in more places around the world than perhaps anyone else. A two-parter for you, Dr. Woods. Where, where do you see zoysia fitting in as a grass choice here in the U.S.? If you do, and are there any grasses that are being underutilized here in the States? Hmm. Well, that's that's a tough one. I, I, I guess the jury's a little bit still out on zoysia, and it will be for another uh, 25 years or so, um, because there's still a lot more zoysia that's going to get planted. But... I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that zoysia needs more water than Bermuda grass. So I see it getting pushed into the Western U.S. And I think that what people are saying is, okay, they think they're not going to have to overseed the zoysia, but they would have to overseed Bermuda. So they think they're going to save water. Although during the summer, they're going to have to put more water on zoysia than they would on Bermuda. The problem is zoysia grows slow and it's susceptible to diseases in the winter. So you have to put a lot of fungicides on it to prevent diseases. And you have to put a lot of herbicides to prevent weeds. So I'm not sure, like if, if we want to talk about environmental sustainability, I'm not sure how great zoysia is going to work out um, if people just look at it in a sunny area as just a replacement for Bermuda. But, you know, it, it, it's going to depend how you manage it. Uh, definitely a good place for zoysia is in the southeast where it's hot, humid, when, and you have tree shade. So in, in those areas, zoysia is going to perform pretty well. It's just a solid grass. It's a beautiful grass. And it really likes hot weather. And so, um, yeah, but, you know, the U.S. has, you know, such a, a big difference in climate. And so uh, there's all kinds of little niche places where we'll see zoysia do really well and other places where I think eventually, you know, 20 or 25 years from now, maybe people will be like, you know what, maybe this isn't the right grass. So um, we'll find out. Yeah, I've heard you make that comment before that there was a sort of a misperception that zoysia needed less input, specifically water. And we had a great research article last year in the green section record, sort of, you know, showing that that wasn't exactly the case. It's a, uh, it's very site specific. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I There was just an article uh, that I saw yesterday about a multi-location uh, breeding experiment looking at genotype by environment um, interaction uh, that's done in the southeast with, with germplasm from Texas, from Oklahoma State, or from Texas A&M, from Oklahoma State, uh, University of Florida, 
North Carolina State and University of Georgia, I believe. And it's interesting looking at the turf quality results under drought. And if I'm understanding that right, the worst performing Bermuda grasses uh, have equivalent turf quality under, under drought to the best performing zoysia grasses. And then, but, but the, the issue is, is pe- professional turf grass managers say, well, I'm never going to manage my grass under drought, so it doesn't matter because the zoysia is going to be a higher quality when I put irrigation on it. But then if the whole point, and, and that may be true, right? But if people are saying, well, my justification for doing this is to use less water, my justification for this is all these environmental reasons, that just like, it doesn't make sense to me. I can understand choosing zoysia because it's a higher quality surface than Bermuda, but it's also a higher maintenance surface uh, in in some places. And I just think, I think we should be honest about what we're doing and and. If, if we're not, I just think it, it's bad for the industry in the long run if we, if, we, if we don't be completely honest about what's using the most resources. So as we wrap up, can you talk about the importance of measuring results? Now, not just soil nutrients, infiltration rate, uh, OM246, which you mentioned earlier, but what golfers really care about, which is playing conditions, the putting surface, and then superintendents can kind of work backwards from there. And I'll say it's one of the things I love about our GS3 smart ball. You can you can get out quickly, easily measure things like surface trueness, smoothness, firmness that goes into the Deacon app. And you can easily correlate maintenance practices to the ultimate performance of your putting greens. And okay, XYZ maintenance practice took place and this was the resulting um, surface performance of the putting green. So that's been something very interesting to see, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on that sort of superintendents focusing on what matters most and then working backwards from there. Yeah. I think that is a great way to close because that is what I recommend now. And, you know, I've kind of evolved what I recommend and I feel like I'm not sure how much more it's going to evolve because I feel it just works so good if we do this. If we measure the results that we're getting, not in terms of, you know, how healthy the grass is or checking off all of the maintenance practices that we've done that, you know, the the maintenance practices that we know is going to make the roots better, improve infiltration rate and all that stuff. But if we just focus on what the results are that are being produced in terms of playability and then work backward from that. So we adjust the work that we do based on what the results are. And that's something that now the Deacon app can do that. The GS3 ball can help to do that. Um, there, there's other services, or you can make your own spreadsheet to, to track this. But it's, it's a lot of numbers, and it's nice to have a service that can do this for you automatically. But I think it's, it's really the way of the future for greenkeeping, for golf course maintenance, the world over, to really focus on what are the results that are being produced in terms of playability and not so much about what we learn in turf school. I used to always recommend stuff that's more agronomic in nature. You know, you need to decompact the soil. You need to top dress. You need to fertilize. You need to do all this stuff to manage the soil and to manage the grass. And I thought that the playing conditions for golf would just fall into place after that. But it's not, it's not guaranteed that the playing conditions fall into place. It's not guaranteed that the playing conditions get optimized. 
And by once you've got those fundamentals down of how to keep grass alive, how to keep 100% grass cover, once you've got those agronomic fundamentals in place and you can do that, it, it, it works much better, I think, now to flip around from an agronomic focus and start having a playability focus. And maybe a lot of, I'm, I'm sure a lot of successful golf course superintendents have figured that out over the course of their career. And, and they've always been doing that. Um, for me, as a, with my background in, in greenkeeping a little bit, and then as a turf grass scientist, I was always really focused on how to grow the grass and how to manage the soil. And now I'm like, uh, let, let's, let's focus on only doing the work that's necessary to optimize the playability. So I, I would encourage people to think in that way. It's, it's been a, a game changer for me. Again, great information. And I think that's an excellent way to close Dr. Woods. So thanks again for taking the time to join us today live from Thailand. Um, it's morning for us. It's, it's evening for you and we made it work. So thanks again. Um, I've, I've always viewed you sort of one, as one of the thought leaders in turf and it's been a real treat having you on and We'll continue to follow along all your great work at the Asian Turf Grass Center and Pace Turf and look forward to um, keeping track of all, all your great efforts. Thanks again, Dr. Woods. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure. Well, that's it for this edition of the USGA Green Section Podcast. A big thanks to our multimedia specialist, Sean Dodge, for editing this episode. Please share, subscribe, and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and subscribe to the Green Section Record, our twice-a-month digital publication covering all things golf course management.